0: If you are a guest with us, I want to welcome you to the Heritage Church of Christ. It is good to be together with our church family. And if you're a guest with us, we hope that you um, not only have been uplifted this point as we have worshiped God together, but that you'll stick around with us for a little bit and let us get to know you. We will have some donuts. We will have some Bible class time, those kind of things. So let us get a chance to to shake your hand and get to meet you and greet you and just say thank you for being here with us today. I am not Travis Akins. I am not our usual preacher that stands up here and does this. My name is Brandon Shar, uh, and we are my, me and my family have been members here for Heritage since the beginning, and we've we have loved this church body. We've loved getting to know so many families, and the love and friendships that we get to share make worship and make our our walk with God so much sweeter. And so we are thankful that you are here, and we're thankful to be a part of this church. I'm thankful that Travis asked me to preach. Um, there's some good and some bad news that comes along with this, right? I also teach the young adult Bible class with Mark Dobrens. Him and I co-teach this. Last week, or two weeks ago when we had Bible class, I was supposed to finish out Galatians, and I took the entire class period to go over four verses. So we may be in for a while. If you need, this, if you need to move around some as we do this, I'll try to keep it somewhat short, but I also do enjoy opening up the Word and just talking through some of this with you all this morning as we think about what it means to be different on purpose. Before we dive into this, I would ask that we just close our eyes and say a prayer very quickly. Father God, thank you for these opportunities that we have to come before you to worship. Thank you for the voices that we have and the words we have to sing and to worship you, to lift you up, to tell you that you are the most important thing to us. We're thankful for Jesus and for his sacrifice, and I pray that as this morning we talk through this, we can... Think about that sacrifice, how different that was to the world that that happened back then, but also now currently for us. And God, I pray that you would just let your spirit fill this place. Um, Help me to get out of the way and help your words to shine through. And I pray, more importantly, Father, that you are uplifted throughout today so that we can go out in your world and we can let our lights shine for you and that people around us see that we are different because we believe in you and we trust in you to guide us. Thank you, Father, for this morning and for all that you do for us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So I have three kiddos, one of which, my youngest, just had a birthday. Reed turned five. For those of you who have young ones, specifically it seems like some of the ones in our, in our church here, I can see some superhero things coming around here. So we're big into the superheroes in our family. Reed's birthday cake was a Batman. And so I posted some pictures here of different superheroes not wanting to start a conversation about which one is the best. We can save that for later. If you want to come find me, we can discuss some of that. I don't know how you beat Superman personally, but if you want to have this conversation later, we can. Here's what I want you to think about as you think about your favorite superhero or some of the characters that you've seen before in different stories and movies and things like that. I want you to think about what makes a superhero a superhero. And I want you to think about the different ones that you know of that have masks that don't have masks. You can see different versions here. I threw in, hopefully without offending anybody, I can say the term old school with Adam West up there and playing Batman. Um, we got some newer ones here, Christopher Reeves obviously, but, but think about these characters and how they hide themselves uh, maybe in plain daylight when they're, when they're a human, right, when they've got their normal form, but then they also transform into something else. When I was going over this slide with Reed, he said, wait, how do they be humans inside? He was very confused that some of these superheroes can also be normal people, right? And we see that sometimes with Batman and Superman and things like that. You can pretty easily tell who those superheroes are even if they do have a mask. And then we've got others who totally transform down here at the bottom and you can't tell who they are, right? They could be anybody and you'd have no idea who they were. Arguably their transformation has taken over a little bit more. But what makes a superhero a superhero? If I just put on a mask, do I all of a sudden become Batman? Do I all of a sudden, if I had a mask and put on my Spider-Man outfit and I came out here, would I be able to f- fling webs and, and jump around like Spider-Man? I'm, I know sometimes I like to dress up and put different things on, but I don't have any any superhero outfits today, I can tell you that. But I was thinking about this conversation about what transforms us. What masks do we wear? What roles do we wear? What titles do we wear? Maybe in our day and age you could think of it as what what title do I wear at work? What do I go to work as a doctor and put on a white coat? Do I go to a certain job position and have to wear a suit and tie? Do I, do I put on outdoor clothes because I have a job outside? Those kind of things that maybe transform us into our work. They transform us into who we are and what we do, at least in our eight-hour eight workday or things like that. So thinking about this idea of transformation and what makes these people who they are when we think about these superheroes. Arguably, it's what's on the inside for them, right? There's been some sort of transformation. They were born this way, things like that throughout the stories. So then I carry that forward into our day and and into us personally today. And so that's what I want to start with is asking you, what defines you or who defines you? What things around you define who you are? Does society get to tell you who you are and what you do? Uh, does Does your workplace define who you are? There's a lot of things that can pull on our identity and tell us who we are and what we do. And that's what I want to kind of think about today is is the idea that we live in a world, but we're supposed to not be necessarily of that world. And so what kind of things push and pull on us? What kind of things define who we are? Think about your, 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 your current role in your family. Think about your current role at work. Think about your current role in your hobbies or other things like that what are those things that define who you are if you were to write those lists out? And I would hope that at the very top of the list would be that you are a child of God. That should be the definition before you do anything else is who you are as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a follower of God. And that's what we're gonna think through some today. So uh, I wanna think about how our faith in God and our faith in Jesus the trust in the Holy Spirit, this understanding of who we are according to scripture, according to what God calls us, that should be what defines us. And by definition, then that should also make us different. Because we know that God, when put up against the world, is different. And we're called to be children of God, we're called to be different. This isn't a conversation about how do I go home and think about what do I need to do to be different. It's a conversation about how do I go home and deepen my faith, which then will make us different. And that's what I want to think through today. That identity as a child of God is what allows us to be different. So there's some verses up here that I want us to think through. Travis talked about this uh, last week with the calling of the disciples, right? In Matthew 4, verses 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, you think about the differences in this world Think about these people who were arguably dirty, who were arguably uneducated. And Jesus goes to those folks and says, I want you. That alone is a different type of calling, right? But what happened to these disciples when Jesus called them? How different did their life look as a result? They left everything they had. They literally dropped their nets. Now, you could say they still had the occupation of being fishers. Uh, Excuse me, that they they went out and, and, and were fishing as a profession, but now they were fishing for men, right? Things got turned around for them drastically when Jesus gave them a new identity and said, you are now fishers of men. And so who they were and what they did totally changed. And in society, we think about, especially back then, those weren't the people that you would have expected Jesus to come call. When the messiah was showing up he wasn't necessarily thinking and, and the the people of that world weren't thinking oh well he's going to go find simon and peter these these tax collectors these fishers things like that they were, he was thinking about you no know, uh, the 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 culture back then would have thought he's going to go find the higher-ups right the people who have been educated those type of people but things were different with jesus and then think about the lives of those disciples and how different their life was as a result of that calling jesus gave them a new identity And he called them to be his, to follow him, and he gives us that same calling as well. In 2 Corinthians 5, which is where we're going to be spending most of our time, if you want to flip there, 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to be a lot in verses 16 through the end of the chapter and into chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. But in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. You couldn't have more differences going on here, right? You had an old thing, there has been a transformation into a new thing. And for those of us who are in Christ, our lives should reflect that. That there is a difference in the way we live and the way we think and the way we move throughout this world. We're gonna talk about this throughout today, but I appreciated Stephen's message about how it has to have some movement with this, right? Because we're a follower of Jesus and we say we're going to do what Jesus did, we're going to try to emulate what he did, he didn't just simply come and say he was a child of God and not move and not do things, right? He did things. Simon and Peter, when they had to follow him as disciples, they followed along with him and they moved throughout society, showing people that this was a new type of of faith, a new type of creation that they were. So when we choose to follow him, it's not simply just a, a decision we make. And we wake up, and then we go about doing the rest of everything that we did. Think back to those identities in your head that you were thinking of. If you're a parent, if you're a boss at work, if you're a supervisor, if you're an employee, if you're a coach, think about some of these roles and how your Christian faith can define those roles, not the other way around. This isn't simply I I go in my closet and I pull out my physical therapy jacket, I put that on and I go to work and then I come home and I take that off and then I now put on a different jacket that maybe is my church jacket or, or my parenting jacket. What we're going to talk about today is how this change, this newness, this identity that God gives us as children of God is something that's from the inside that you live out no matter what's going on. And there's no option to take that off, so to speak, when you are a child of God. It becomes intertwined with who you are and what you do. I love this idea of this new creation that Paul talks about. And I love this idea as we read through and and we think about reconciliation and some of these terms that we're going to read about, this transformation that takes place. God's transforming love is what defines who you are. And we will read about that and Paul will make that abundantly clear. That what defines you is not society, it's not labels, it's it's not certain titles that you have. What defines who you are is God's transforming love. And the fact that he loved you so much, regardless of your current state, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And he reconciled us to him even when we were probably the ones that needed to do a little bit more than what we did. But that's God's love that he didn't care. And he loved us so much that he was willing to do that. That transformation is what I want to think about as we we spend time this morning thinking through what does that look like? What does it look like to be this new creation? It's no longer about us just simply living life and trying to figure out how to fit Christ in to this life that I live. But now it's trying to think through what does that look like when I'm a child of God? And how can from the inside out I live this out? There's arguably not a better person in the New Testament to talk about this than Paul, right? If we think back to Acts, when Paul was Saul and he was um, crucifying Christians and going after Jesus' church, he has a transformation that takes place. He literally changes who he is, his name changes to Paul, and now he becomes a minister of reconciliation as he calls each one of us to do throughout 2 Corinthians. So as we'll read. We'll read that God loves you and me so much that he was willing to fix the brokenness that we had caused. And again, if I think back to being different in society like like Travis talks about during this series, it's not about me choosing a certain thing to be able to be different. It's about choosing my faith in God, and that then allows me to be different as a result of that and feeding into that faith in God allows me to be different. It's no longer about looking at at what clothes I should wear and choosing, I'm gonna be different and wear this clothes. Or it's not going to a menu and saying, okay, I know everyone's ordering this burger, but I'm gonna be different and I'm gonna order the chicken sandwich. No, the difference is is that we tap into this faith that we have in God who calls us, uh, he calls us his. He calls us children of God. No matter what goes on in this world, that's what he calls us. And how different is that in a world that's, that's very much driven on, on proving your worth and finding value in things and what can you bring to the table and how hard can you work, God says it doesn't matter. Just have faith in me and trust that I'm calling you my child. So let's go ahead and let's read a little bit of 2 Corinthians 5 as we think about this transformation that's taken place. And what does that transformation look like in your life? I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 through 21. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul's encouraging this young church who's going through some struggles. There's there's people stirring up some dissension within this church. There's people who would argue that Paul's not really who who he claims to be, that there's a lot of other things going on that are discrediting him. And and I honestly think as we read through this, Paul's more offended not that they're calling him out, but that he stands behind the cross of Christ. So they're also kind of calling out Jesus and God as a result. Paul's reaching out to these people to tell them, number one, he's defending his ministry. As he says, he has been called to this ministry of reconciliation because of this transformation that took place. But more importantly, I believe he's also calling us to do the same. When we become a, children, a child of God, we now take on this new role as we're going to talk about today. This transformation causes movement. It causes things to happen. And so these, the, these, the New Testament church in Corinth that we're reading about, uh, it would be easy to go along and to fit in with what's happening to the world around them. They become Christians. There's dissension that arises within the church and there's pulling from different angles and there's things that are calling on them to, well, follow this instead and did Paul really mean this or maybe he meant this and there's some dissension and there's division and it's easy all of a sudden now for our identity or for their identity to start to change a little bit. And Paul's reminding them, this is why I do what I do and this is why you should do what you do. Sometimes I think for me personally, it's hard to be different and to stand up Because I don't always want all the eyes on me. I don't want a conflict. I want to be a little bit more passive. Can you relate to that in in our society and in your work and in your family, in your roles at school, in your roles at wherever you find yourselves in? We're called to be different, and sometimes we attribute that difference to, to, to taking a bold stand and while that truly does happen at times there's also smaller things throughout our day that we need to be doing to show that we're different but I think sometimes we're nervous because maybe we don't want all the, all the, all the eyes on us or sometimes we just I'd, I'd rather not have conflict and so then I'm just gonna kinda I'll, I'll sit back and by no means am I saying that we need to jump out and always be martyrs and always beat people over the heads but I think there is a spot where we can live where we are faithful Christians, that we push into this faith and and we dive into our faith in God, that 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 then is what transforms us to being different. That it's no longer about our, our personality as much. We're not trying to be selfish or arrogant or things like that. All we're simply doing is living the best we can as a child of God and as a result, that looks different. And that should be different and that's okay. How the world interprets it isn't up to us. What we're called to be is a child of God. And that's what we will talk about today as we look through this this transformation that's taking place. So we said God's transforming love is what defines you. And I want to think about what that looks like a little bit as we go through this process. So the first point that I would make is that God's transforming love, it frames our vision and how we see the world around us. We see that. There's several verses listed there in 2 Corinthians. We fix our eyes not on what is seen but what what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Paul talks about, at the first part of uh, 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about how there's an earthly dwelling and a heavenly dwelling, and he longs for that heavenly dwelling, and he's okay with what happens on earth and some of the things that's happened to him because he knows that he has a heavenly dwelling, and that's what he's focusing on. We live by faith, not by sight. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Thinking about this vision and how we how we see the world around us what perspective do we have with the world around us is there an opportunity for us to be different because of the way that we look at the world and because of the way that we treat people around us so obviously we still touch and see and feel the things around us in this world right but we're called to have a perspective that's more heavenly. We're called to have a perspective that's more tapped into the way that Jesus and God saw the world. So it doesn't mean that we can't function and live in the world. It doesn't mean that we go out and, and become um, uh, her, uh, hermits living, living in, a, in a forest long, far away from everyone. It, it's a calling for us in the current world that we're in. How can we view it with a heavenly, uh, a heavenly view? I've I've never had any eye issues thankfully. When I was younger, uh, my brother used to tease me that I was adopted as most siblings do. I was the only one in my family who didn't wear glasses. And I believed him. I totally believed him because I didn't have, everyone else had curly hair and everyone else had glasses. And so I totally believed him that I was adopted for a long time. Um, I wasn't and and he got in trouble for that. Um, But thankfully I've not had that but I, I put myself into people who have Uh, LASIK surgery for instance, and maybe you know people who have, and they see a certain way and then something happens that transforms them and now they see the world in a different way. Or you think about Paul, literally on the road to go and persecute the church, he becomes blinded, can't see anything, three days later scales fall off of his eyes, he changes his name from Saul to Paul and he can see the world in a different perspective. And I think about maybe us in in the sense of baptism. And we become a child of God and we're baptized and now we see the world in a different way. And the struggle is we still live life every day in this world. So how do we have that perspective? How do we maintain that? That's what we struggle through. And that's where, to me, it's not a decision about what what article of clothing I'm going to wear for the day. The decision is simply let me tap into my faith and grow in my faith. And from there, then I will be able to tap into this transforming love and this idea that I see the world differently. And we've all been there. Think about worldly things that have happened to us. Think about your everyday life. How many times when you get cut off do you, let's say you're driving down the road. When you get cut off by another car, how many times do you go, that's okay. I know that you're having a bad day. I don't always react that way if I'm honest. Or think about if somebody at work did something that was very annoying. And we immediately, or at least it's easy, to immediately jump to the worst case. Well, they don't ever pay attention, and they didn't, they didn't listen again, and they did this. Or think about if you're having bad service. Maybe you're at a, at a restaurant going out to eat, and someone's having a, a terrible day, and the service that you're getting is just, it's not great. How easy are we quick to give grace and love in those situations? Or how easy is it instead to react the, the way the world would have us react and start to stand up and say something and, and start to really become maybe a little bit more forceful or a little bit angry or a little bit you know I'm gonna fight back to this a little bit everyday activities that we have we can practice what this looks like to live by faith and not by sight to have a perspective of looking at the world with a heavenly lens and it's not easy but that's what our calling is is to be different to view the world differently and to have those simple everyday reactions be be viewed as different and to be transformed in that way. There's a story. I hesitated to share this because of the, the for the sake of time, but I can't help but share this. We've been watching the Olympics a whole lot. My kids love it. They they pull it up and they watch it almost every day. There is a story of a Canadian Paralympian who started to go blind. He loved skiing, but started to go blind when he was 19. He lost his vision. He could see, but things are very blurry. Glasses and surgeries won't fix this for him, but he's a world-class skier. Fortunately, he has a brother who's seven years older, who is also a world-class skier, and won gold medals and championships and things like this. The story goes, and this isn't an advertisement if you've seen it at all during the Olympics, you'll probably see it tonight as well, but the story goes that Brian, who was the one that started to go blind, still wanted to race, and still wanted to go out there and do this. So his brother said, I'll be your guide. And so in the commercial, you see that things are blurry, but he can only see three or four feet in front of him. And he follows his brother the whole way. And his brother leads him. And they go on, and he's now the most decorated Paralympian of all. He's, he's got 17 medals, 13 gold medals. He he's cross-country skis over 12 miles, which is, for those of us who have ever been cross-country skiing, is no easy feat, let alone when you can't see well. And, he's, and he, his vision has been transformed to where all he can focus on now is the guide in front of him. And that's all he can see. And it's interesting, he has a quote. Most, so uh, there's times when he hasn't had a guide for different reasons. And he says, most of my races are mass start events. So everyone's lined up. Okay, Imagine everyone's going to take off on this race. And he'll be able to follow other people in those events if he doesn't have a guide. There's a lot of guides, he says, you just have to be aware that they are not racing with you, they are trying to beat you. So he has to be mindful now that there's no longer a guide in front of him, that he's following with the other racers and he can see with them, but then he's obviously got to be able to try to beat them because that's the point of the race. But this story from both aspects, from the brother who decides, you know what, I'm going to set aside some things and I will be your guide and I'll go with you through this. It's a huge application for us in our walk with Jesus and the friends and and family that we have. But also, I can't help but think about, he he had the world and could see everything. And unfortunately for him, he had this disease, but it narrowed in to where he can only focus on the one thing four feet in front of him. And that's what he focuses on. And that's our challenge to some extent, right? Is that we focus laser-focused on the cross and on what God has called us to do. And that challenge, if we can do that and realize that there's a lot of people around and there's a lot of quote-unquote guides that are pulling on us and calling us who we are, but if we can focus on the one in front of us, then that's going to make this idea easier, that it transforms our vision. It's not easy, but it makes it easier. The second point I want to make about God's transforming love is that it forms your vocation. It forms what you spend your time doing. It's no longer... Um, like we were using the analogy of a closet and pulling out a, a suit jacket and wearing this one and I put it back and then I pull out this one. It doesn't matter to Paul what your training is, much like it didn't matter to Jesus what the training was in for Simon and Peter when they were fishing. All that matters is that now that we have become children of God and we have followed Him, there is a transformation that takes place. And Paul, while he's defending his ministry, I think he's also calling on these Corinthians much like he would be calling on us now that this is what we should spend our time doing. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, it says, God did, through Jesus. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation, and there, as a result, we become Christ's ambassadors. I don't think this is just Paul defending his work to the Corinthians. I think he's also calling all of us who believe in God, who have become children of God, that now we have to become ministers of reconciliation. And often in our time we think of ministers like Travis who does this full time and that's an amazing thing that he does. But I would argue that Paul is also encouraging each one of us to minister in the position and in the place where we are. So let's talk about some definitions of that. On the next slide here we've got some definitions of what minister looks like and what reconciliation looks like according to some of the original Greek wording. So a minister is to serve, to be a servant. Literally, one of the root words was to kick up dust as one running an errand. And so, okay, I'm a servant of what? What do I serve? How do I do that? It's a minister of reconciliation. Quite literally, it just means to change shape, to transform, a reestablishment of a broken relationship. And we talk about different and how it looks different in the world. Think about this. How many times does reconciliation take place for us and we assume if we were the wronged party, somebody has to come to us first. If you've ever been in conflict and you've ever wanted to resolve that conflict, yet you were the one in your mind that was the victim, how easy is it to go offer reconciliation and forgiveness when you were the one that was wronged? The world would say you don't do that, right? You wait for them to come to you because obviously they had some sort of thing that they did to you. You're not wrong, you were the victim. So you wait until they come to you. Thank God he did not do that for us. It specifically says in there that God reconciled us to himself. When we were in our broken state, he did that. And how much different does that look? And then, again, think about what that could mean for your life. How can you be a servant of change, a servant of transformation, a servant of fixing broken relationships regardless of the status of who was wronged, regardless of if they deserve reconciliation or forgiveness. God doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care about that. What he cares about is that we go out and we shine the light of righteousness, that we are a change agent for him in this world, that we love no matter what, as, Paul, as uh, Travis talked to us about last week. So we're given this ministry. We're given this role. And it's no longer just about us living life. And it's one of the reasons that I love the the Heritage Church of Christ and the body that we have here is that each one of us are called to work and to do things. And in a smaller setting like this, we can all work together. And we know each other. And we can all, whether there's a need from an Afghanistan refugee family that we can help or there's a need in children's ministry, we all dig in and we get it done. And so now let's take that same encouragement and that same spirit and live our life in a way that reflects that as well, right? That we that we are now that change agent for the world around us. And that's what we spend our time doing. So we change our view of the world and we change what we spend our time doing. And now we start to see that we are a representative of God to the world around us. In 2 Corinthians 5:21, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us, talking about Jesus, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God now you could argue some different translations but here's what I've read this week Paul does not say that we in Christ might become righteous he doesn't say we might receive God's righteousness what does he say we might become God the righteousness of God to the world around us so we are valued by God To be his representative to be his righteousness in this world that we currently live the perfection and holiness of god is who you are when you decided to become a child of god and it's what he's calling us to be every single day it's not a one-time decision it's a daily pushing into my faith and it's a daily tapping into this idea that who i am is not defined by what i do at work It's not defined by the world around me. Who I am is strictly defined by this statement. You are the righteousness of God when you tap into this change, this transformation that's taken place. And the the aspect that I love about this, and I was talking with Carly, my wife, about this, is it's no longer, um, as the next slide will show, it's no longer a decision that I have to make uh, about what, what article of clothing I'm gonna wear or how I'm gonna react in this situation, I truly believe that God's desire for us is that it becomes so intertwined in who you are and what you do that it can't be separated. Who you are from the inside is a child of God and now you are God's transforming love to the world around us. It shines from within us, we can't help it. Who you are when we, when we tap into our faith and when we build a faith community to encourage us, each other, every single day, that now we are God's transforming love to the world around us. And again, now it's not so much how do I make this decision about being different. I'm going to order this piece of food or I'm going to do this thing or, or the, the, the flow is going this way so I'm just going to stand and make this change here. That's, that's easier to do. I think what's harder is every day to tap into my faith and to grow in my faith and let that be the change agent that allows me to be different and to see the world differently and to spend my time differently. Carly and I have a, um, like a lot of couples do when they get married, we did a, a sand jar. And you put two different colors of sand in there and the representation of that is that now two are becoming one. You can see two different colors in this jar. There's some tan and some white. And I suppose if you really took the time You could separate each grain of sand. It would take a long time. I don't know that I would want that job. But the point is that her and I in our marriage have become so intertwined, you can't pull it apart. And that's the point that Paul is getting to with these Corinthians. It's his calling to be a minister of reconciliation, but he's also saying it's each one of ours as a child of God that from the inside we have to live this out. We have to be different by nature of who we are because of the nature of God living inside of us and the transformation that's taken place. So let's end with some words from Jesus if we turn to the next slide there, Josh. So in Matthew 5, and there's so many that we could pull up here, but he tells him, I tell you that unless your righteousness, as he's talking to the disciples, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. How do do we view this maybe just at first glance? Or if you were to give this to someone in the world who hasn't read any of the Bible and you had them read this, you would think, at least I would, that there's almost a competition. Well, okay, I gotta be better than the Pharisees. So how do I be better than the Pharisees? I would think instead that what this is asking us to do is that we are so faithful in God that it's not about how can I be better than them, It's how can I be so in tune with my faith in God that therefore I have now become the righteousness of God as we just read and now that is what surpasses anything else. It's not about us trying to be better necessarily. What it is about is us tapping into our faith in God which makes us righteous. And so it's calling us back into relationship with God more so than it is how can I make this decision and this decision and then become better. Or think about this, and Travis read this for us a couple weeks ago, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift, leave the worship that you're trying to do, and go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and worship. But what if that person was incredibly rude to me? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the status of that is. What matters is that you go fix this situation, not because you necessarily want to, but because God's love is living inside of you, that it cannot handle having some of this darkness or having some of this hatred. By the nature of God's love living inside you, you say, it doesn't matter, I've got to go fix this. God didn't, thankfully, God didn't make us um, go through and, and change everything that we were doing first. It says. And, and Paul says to the Corinthian church, while we were still in our sin, while we were still in our darkness, God reconciled us to himself. Now we are called to go do the same. So are we living in this, in this way? Are we living out our faith by tapping into that and growing in our faith and letting that transform us from the inside out? Travis last week talked about the love of Christ. It's not listed on there. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about loving your enemies. And he talks about this love is the thing that defines us because again, we are called to live out what Jesus did every single day to the world around us. So we are different, but we are called to be different by our faith and that's what makes us different. So the last slide here is that you are different by design. You don't necessarily get to choose to be different. If you are a child of God, you are going to be different because of the divine creator, because who created you and who called you to this world. We are co-workers, again, as you see in, in uh, it's, uh, it's actually 2 Corinthians, sorry for the typo there, instead of Matthew 6, it's 2 Corinthians 6. If you're looking through 2 Corinthians 5, read on into the start of 6. Paul says, we are co-workers with God. And then he encourages them, do not receive God's grace in vain, for now is the time of favor, and now is the, now is the day of salvation. Specifically, I love this idea, what he's referring back to is Isaiah 49.8, and I'd love to read this. It's not gonna be on the screen, but I'm gonna read this for you. Paul is referencing back a time when God's covenant was being um, fulfilled and being talked about. Um, sorry, not being fulfilled yet, but being talked about and being prophesied about. And in Isaiah 49.8, it says, this is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. God is calling us to be in a covenant relationship with him that we can embody who he is to the world around us. And that is a challenge, but it's what he calls us to do. And I love that Paul ends similar to a coach in a locker room getting ready to to pump up his team before they go out. He quotes this from Isaiah that mentions this idea of this covenant relationship. And then he says, now is that time. Now is the time of salvation. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, which means he hears you. And now is the day of salvation, which means he helps us. My hope and my prayer this morning as we think through this and as we finish... ...is that God's transforming love can take where you are currently and allow you to be different... ...but it's because you're living out His love. It's not because of selfishness. It's not because of any other motive... ...other than the fact that we are trying to live out God's love as best we can. And as a result, we become different. And so I hope and pray that you think through that this morning with me. We are going to offer an invitation. Tom Snyder, one of our elders is in the back and he will be available to help with any prayers, any, any concerns that may come up. I'll be standing here as well if you want to find some of us. But I know it's often hard to come down publicly and do that or to go to the back and find Tom. So as you're sitting here and as Alan leads us through these last couple of songs, I hope and pray that you can think through what does God's transformation look like in your life and how can that continue to grow to where from the inside out it is no longer something that we are wearing, It is from the inside that we let the love of God shine to the world around us. If there's any need, we'd love to help you out as a church while we stand and while we sing.